0: I'm Dr. Jacqueline Dujay, and welcome to What is Black podcast, the podcast where we discuss topics important to raising healthy and thriving Black children. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of What is Black podcast. I'm excited to have um, another special guest with us. I have Dr. Jocelyn Mitchell-Williams. Jocelyn is a obstetrician and gynecologist at Cooper University Hospital in Camden, New Jersey, and she's also an assistant professor for the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology um, at Cooper University Hospital. So, welcome. Thank you for joining us today, um, Jocelyn.
1: No, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: I wanted to really talk about um, sexual health issues facing teens and young adults, um, especially given the disproportionate um, disparities um, experienced by many young Black women, especially the disproportionate rates of STIs and also some of the maternal health disparities among Black women. And one of my thoughts was, is that, you know, maybe if we, if as parents, we can talk more about these, you know, really complex and difficult, difficult topics with our, with our young people, maybe we can empower them and provide them, provide um, our young daughters and young women uh, more support and information about their sexual development and sexual health. So that's why I wanted to speak with um, um, Dr. Mitchell Williams, um, utilizing some of her expertise so thank you again for joining us today, um, um, Jocelyn.
1: Oh, it's great. It's great to be here. And as you said, I mean, these are really important issues. And you and I, you know, both in our in our lives and our practices have s- seen firsthand some of these disparities that exist. And I think, you know, there there are more things that we can do. A lot of it revolves around education and access for these individuals and you know we really do need to start thinking more outside the box and how we can bring that education and and care to these individuals
0: so first and foremost when when should when should parents like or how early really should parents start oh. talking about um, sexual health sexual development um, with girls
1: so obviously it's there's a Variation on when that might happen just based on circumstances. But generally, you know, around the time of puberty, around the time like right before first menses, some of those conversations should begin to happen. And depending on the rate of development of your daughter, those things might have to come earlier. Uh, depending on circumstances, uh, regards to living situations, what people might be expected might encounter, that might also force you to have discussions earlier. If you know if there's concern about safety around uh, sexual predators and things like that, some of those conversations need to start earlier. And sometimes they do happen more in some of our minority populations. So those things also have to be taken into account.
0: So you're a gynecologist by training. And I was just wondering, when should, you know, you sort of set the, set the stage for when um, a parent ideally should have conversations um, with, their, with, their, with their daughters? But so let's say the next, the next step when should young women um, see see a gynecologist?
1: So the current recommendation by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is that adolescents should have their first visit around the ages between 13 and 15 years old. And that's regardless of whether they are sexually active and that sometimes takes parents by surprise. But if you really think about it, it makes sense, right? Because that's when young women are developing, there's uncertainty about what's going on with their body, they may be having that first menstrual period and not really understanding it and having discomfort. So that's a perfect opportunity to sort of start the physician-patient relationship so that when other issues do come up then that teenager is much more comfortable having a more private conversation with a physician.
0: So when when I, a parent takes their daughter to see a gynecologist, what are what are some of the things they can expect from that visit from the from the parent perspective, parent guardian perspective, and from the perspective of um, the young person that's being seen by the gynecologist?
1: So for the parent, one thing that they should expect, at least if they were a parent bringing a child in to see me they should expect to be asked to leave the room for part of the conversation. And that's because I personally want to really allow that student to have, or that uh, patient to have the privacy to know that what goes on in their room is c- completely confidential, and there may be some very, private things that they might not want to share with their parents. So I have that discussion up front. That's a, sort of the first thing that I'll say to a parent when they bring a child in. I like them, the parents to stay in the room so that I can make sure that I'm really getting a good family history. You know, that might revolve around, you know, history of bleeding disorders in a family. If I'm worried about a patient who's having heavy menstrual cycles or so forth. So to really get that good background that you need to develop a patient's chart but to let them know up front that they are, will be asked to leave the room so that we can just have a more private conversation for the teenager the adolescent I want them to know that this doesn't mean that we're going to do any internal examination right this is really sort of a developing a relationship I'm going to ask a lot of questions I will ask to at least look at the body to make sure that the level of development is appropriate for their age. But other than that, there does not need to be a physical or an internal exam at that time in most instances. So I want to make them feel comfortable about that so that they're not overly anxious and and nervous about being in the room with me.
0: I'm glad that you you know you really said that because I think there are parents that don't realize that there, there is an importance to sort of allow their their child to see the see the clinician see the provider separately from them. I know that you know I'm a I'm a parent as well, and sometimes you know you do feel like well you know you know you're a little nervous, but at the same time you also you know, you also want to know what what your child is saying, so it can be difficult to sort of. You know, okay, leave the room when you really want to stay mm-hmm. there, and you're used to like giving the history. So I'm glad that you said that, so that parents sort of have that expectation going in, um, and maybe too that they can. I don't know. Maybe that may foster some conver- conversation that the parents can have um, with their child before going to to see the gynecologist. But I don't know if you've ever, if you've experienced that before. If that um, parents um, finding out that they have to be separate from their from their um, from their child during the visit,
1: is it? Right. I mean, I think their parents are very receptive to to hearing that when you put it frame it in the right way. If you are, you know, saying that it's very important for me to be able to have that private relationship with your daughter, I think people are understanding of that because those parents, those mothers, are you know generally have also a private relationship with their own gynecologist, so that they sort of understand that. But wherever possible, I do try to make that known ahead of time. So if I have a patient in my own practice who has a daughter, I try to remind them of the importance of bringing their daughters in at that early age to have a discussion. Because there's too much of a a thought out there by many parents that if you bring your daughter to a gynecologist, then you're sort of giving them the okay to have sex. And that's not that's just not the reality of it. There's so many more important reasons to have a daughter start seeing a gynecologist at an early age. Uh, Having said that, it still is important for somebody to be having that conversation about pregnancy prevention and sexual health. And sometimes, quite honestly, parents aren't that comfortable doing it.
0: So I think you really got to you know, in a long-winded way, am I trying to say that? I guess that is a fear, right? You want to know if your kid's sexually active or not, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to. I guess there might be a concern for for parents that, like you said, if by taking them, that they're saying that yes, they're giving permission um, for for to have sex. And I and I'm glad that you that you sort of kind of set that straight. It's really about health, right? So I want to talk a little bit more about that. You know, why sexual health is so important to overall health and wellness um, for,
1: for young people. Well, I mean, it's important because you want to make sure that, one, you are encouraging healthy sexual relationships. You know, being a teenager is not always that easy. There's so many pressures from peers, from boyfriends, from media, that you know, put out the wrong message sometime. And you really wanna make sure that people are aware of you know, what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. So it's really important to have those conversations so that we don't have our, our daughters you know, being subjected to verbal abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse. They need to see what a healthy relationship looks like and to have a discussion about that um there's also a lot of peer pressure that goes on and we see a lot of young women having issues with their body but you know body image issues and that can sometimes lead to some inappropriate sexual relationships or behaviors or you know that could then Spiral to a downhill thing if you know, and you have people that are sexually abused at an early age, and so it leads to mental health issues. It leads to uh, eating disorders, body image, and obesity, and all of those kinds of things. So it's really important to hear those things early on in life to help establish what is and what is not appropriate.
0: When you actually are talking with with um, young people, are those are Do you also share information and talk about, you know, really dispelling myths that many, um, many young people might have?
1: You know, sometimes what people interpret as sexual acts or that you can't get an STD from doing this, that, and the other, those are the kinds of conversations that, you know, we often have to have have with the younger population. Um, And some of that's, you know, because they hear maybe they're, sexual partners say oh you can't get pregnant you know on the first time you can't get pregnant if you haven't had a menstrual cycle before so displaying some of those myths is really important and you know really trying to emphasize obviously the use of condoms abstinence um, you know letting people know that it' it is okay not to have. Sex, not to you know, be pressured by individuals to engage in something if you're not ready for that kind of um, relationship, and to make sure that when they are ready or they feel like they do want to take that next step, that they are well prepared and have birth control options. And you might not see that patient maybe for after they've come in for that first visit. You know, we only generally see people annually. So there's going to be a whole year's time that goes by in the meantime. So you do want to have these conversations up front and maybe say, okay, you're not ready to have sex now, but do you know what to do if if you decide between that year span that that's going to happen, that you can call and make an, another appointment to see and talk about birth control or because you've already been been seen I will call in prescription for you so it's available for you. Um, Or if something happens and you have a sexual encounter and did not use birth control, have I talked to that patient about emergency contraception and what they can do? So those are all important conversations to try to optimize when the patient is there for that first visit.
0: So we talked a lot about, I think, more a parent engaging, you know, scheduling the appointment with, um, with the gynecologist. In some instances, I know that there are, some, there are some young people who have parents that may not be as open, right, to the conversation and to make the appointment. Are, are teenagers able to schedule their own appointments or can they be encouraged maybe to, to, to do that if they have their own questions?
1: So they can, um, you know, if they have their, you know, health insurance card, they can do that. The downside of that is, is if a parent doesn't want them to be engaging in those kinds of visits, that information is going to show up on their insurance information when it's mailed to parents. So that can be an uncomfortable circumstance for parents. For, uh, Adolescent patient, so sometimes that's when individuals utilize clinics that are available, whether it's um, through a high school that might have a student run a clinic that they can see a nurse about something like that, or a Planned Parenthood location. And that's why I think it's so important that we, as physicians, kind of use our influence to prompt patients to make sure that they're bringing their children for these visits certainly you know a gynecologist may be something that they're not willing to do but pediatricians you know see patients up to you know 18 21 years old or so forth so those are another set of allies that can have to sort of really increase that encouragement to have that kind of visit or at least that conversation
0: and what I think is like so so amazing about what you do is that you know again, we, we've talked more about like, um, you know, birth control protection against sexually transmitted infections, but as a gynecologist, you do so much more, right? There's so many other, other topics related to sexual health, sexual development that are so, that are so critical for, for young, for young women. Um, uh, and I just wanted you know, to kind of share with, share with our audience and listeners, like what are, what are the other, other areas, um, that that you can also other areas that can be addressed, um, other issues I guess should be that can be addressed with um, the sure.
1: gynecologists. Sure. So, and I think there's different life stages. So you talk about some things with adolescents, some things with people who are you know in that 20 to 30 year age, and then those other individuals that are in the perimenopausal and menopausal stage. But for the adolescents, we've touched a a little bit on a couple of these things so body image that's huge um, how cruel some teenagers can be now um, and especially with social media out there now there's a lot of sort of bullying that goes on online and in schools and a lot of it centers around body image because of you know what society has sort of depicted is the appropriate way to look so I always talk to young women about you know them feeling comfortable with who they are um, and being comfortable in their own body Um, there's you know issues that people may have you know one way or the other either they're too heavy or they have an eating disorder and they are too thin and so really trying to get people to you know understand that they need to take good care of themselves with appropriate diet and exercise talk about all of those things, not just menstrual cycle and and so forth and in some instances we sometimes you know play a little bit of psychiatrist sometimes. Um, once you develop a relationship with a physician, it's not that easy to to go and sort of repeat those same things back to another new doctor so, You know, somebody who might have issues with sexual abuse may only want to talk to the gynecologist and not have to share that with another individual. So, you know, there's a wide variety of different topics that I may handle on a basis with across many different patients.
0: I mean, I think it's a, I think it's amazing the the work that um, that you do and the benefits parents can have by just tapping into the expertise of uh, of a gynecologist. So I was wondering, you know, just just um, pivoting back to parents, what resources um, are available to parents to help help them talk to their girls and and young women about about sexual health sexual development.
1: Well, first, they should rely on their gynecologist <laughs> as, a, as a resource, number one. I mean, I think, again, where I've got, had the best relationships with my teen patients, it's where I've had really good relationships with their moms. So earning the trust of those parents really allows them to feel comfortable with you talking to their their daughters about sexual health. Right? So if you're able to say, I know that you might not agree with you know your daughter being sexually active at that time and maybe she's not, but wouldn't you want her to have that conversation with me that enables her to make the best choices and be as ready and protective as, as possible at the time? The other thing is um, you know there's a lot of resources that would be available in a gynecologist's office. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology puts out just tons of brochures um, that are available on a variety of different things from painful periods to teen pregnancy to um, STD prevention, all of those things. There's a lot of literature, and I would recommend using those kind of reputable resources versus – you know talking to their friends getting their information from their friends and, and so forth which as we've you know just discussed there's a lot of myths that are out there that we don't want people sort of hearing and you know there's a, a, as well as the pamphlets and things that are available there's a lot of reputable videos that individuals could watch again around those societies that are specifically f- for obstetrics and gynecology education. So I'd recommend using those things. And, um, and also utilizing pediatrician.
0: Okay, I like that recommendation as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Being
1: one myself. We're all in this together, you know, the more education the possible. And really, it's about opening that dialogue, you know, parents have to be willing to sort of have these conversations with their children. And if you start that as an at an early age, you know you before you talked about well, like when's the right time to start having these conversations, your child might may be the one that actually comes with that question. So you got to be prepared for it. You know you don't realize that you know maybe at nine, ten years old, people may or your child may ask, why is such and such? So you have to be prepared with some of those responses. And, you know, and then from that, think about what other conversations you can have down the line that will best prepare your child for what's coming.
0: So I just wanted to circle back a little bit, um, Jocelyn, about, I think, some of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation with you, one, because of your expertise and also, two, your your work and passion on um, diversity issues, um, health disparities issues, And just wanted to dive in a little bit more about like this disproportionality of that's some health outcomes, right? Poor health, poor health outcomes for Black women and um, young women, young girls and young women. And from from your from your vantage point, what do you think we need to really do to really to redress these issues? I mean, with conversations like this, you know, encouraging parents to have conversations like that is this. Is it one one way to, to sort of try to address these um, disparities? And are there any other um, any other ways you think that we can address these issues?
1: Well, I you know it's not. There's no one quick fix answer for sure. I mean, these disparities have been going on forever, and you're right; they do occur more in minority populations. We see it all the time. So you can say yes, some of that is due to Access of care, you know, the Affordable Care Act sort of helps somewhat with that. So people have more access You know some of it comes, you know about because of these other social determinants of health You know finances if you don't have the ability to Buy birth control guess what you're gonna have more individuals that then are, are getting pregnant still Um, Some of it has to do with our own impressions, as black individuals, our own impressions about the healthcare system and that inherent distrust, so that when people try to encourage us to use a different form of birth control or say that this sort of uh, treatment method is better, there's question, there's, there's doubt whether the the healthcare professionals being honest again. So there's a lot of work to do in that regard. Having more, and this has been you know my big push in in my career is that having more physicians that look like us helps. You know, you're much more likely to trust a physician from your own background if you're hearing it from them. Um, so we need more physicians that look like us. We need to, as As black individuals or minority populations, we need to be more informed. So we have to do our part. We have to educate ourselves and use that education to educate our children. That information needs to be passed on. And when we're in situations, you know, so the big thing now is the, you know, three times, three to four times the number of like maternal deaths for black women, we need to start asking more questions. We need to know that fact and we need to be able to say to our physicians that are caring for us, did you know that the death rate for black women is three times more than it is for Caucasian women? How are you going to make sure that I'm best cared for? So we need to let our physicians know that we know the facts that are out there and that we're relying on them to make sure that they take the best care of us because something's happening that's making making that rate so much higher. And some of it may have to do with, you know, some kind of unconscious bias that people aren't, you know, maybe taking us as seriously when we're complaining that something's going on. Um, so those are just a few of the things that I think we can do better.
0: And so I wanted to pivot a little bit to your, the other hat that you wear in terms of your, your work, to diversify um, the the medical workforce, and I think that I think that's such an amazing amazing hat that you wear. Plus the plus the work that you do to provide um, direct care to, to patients. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about about that role that you have, and what what you what you love about being both a gynecologist and having this other hat in terms of um,
1: increasing the diversity of medical professionals? So, I mean, you know from just us being in medical school together that I've been in this diversity thing for 20 plus years, right? So it is something that I'm very passionate about. And I think a lot of it just stems from hearing a lot of stories from other minority individuals about how they were not encouraged in fact in times discouraged from pursuing careers in science and medicine and so forth um, as if they were less capable. And so for 20 some years I've been involved in programs that sort of speak to the opposite of that to get people encouraged about their interest in medicine, and about their ability to succeed in medicine, and we do that through a variety of different programs, you know, throughout the undergraduate years and even high school and in primary care and in um, the at the primary level, you know, fifth and sixth graders to let students know that yes, here are people that look like you that are physicians, even though you might not have seen one. And we hope that that causes a little bit of a spark of interest. And most of my job now is in that arena, is in running those programs and community programming that allows our medical students to sort of train in urban environments with minority populations. So, you know, even if there's a majority student, I want them to know about the barriers that minority populations have to access, how it affects their medical outcomes, and how they, even as a majority physician, can be a great physician for that patient. And so that's, you know, being out there in the community, seeing firsthand all of the social determinants of health that they face, you know, whether it's educational or financial um, or trauma that they, they go through living day to day. I want them those medical students to really be informed about what those patients bring to the table. and I want them to be instrumental in helping to find solutions to improve their, their outcomes. I keep my hand in medicine. I love you know, taking care of patients, but I think especially it's really important for me to continue to see patients so that my third and fourth year medical students that are underrepresented in medicine see me in that role because still there's not enough of us out there practicing for them to see that they can also be successful
0: so this has been a great conversation Jocelyn i thank you for all the all the great things that you do and you will be doing and I'm, I'm hoping that parents that have listened to this episode have at least a little bit more knowledge and feel more comfortable knowing that they can um, utilize the gynecologist to help them as a, not only as a resource, but also help, um, help improve the health and well-being of their, of their
1: daughters. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to talk. And it's been great reconnecting with you. And I hope to further these conversations.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on What Is Black podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And for more information about the podcast, our blogs, and subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, go to our website at whatisblack.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Until next time, thank you for listening.